0: Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Each week, Jess Gedeke chats with world-class brand professionals to bring you the story behind the story of some of the most breakthrough innovations, marketing tactics, and campaigns. Well, welcome to Dig In. I'm Jess Gedeke with Dig Insights, and I am joined today by the man, the myth, Barry Jennings, <laughs> Director, Cloud and Commercial Business Planning Insights at Microsoft. Barry, I'm so glad you're here. I, I mean it. I learn every time that we talk, I, I take away something new. So I know we're going to have a really memorable conversation today. Thanks for being here.
1: Uh, I am glad to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, how this turns out. I'm uh, trying to figure out how manly or how mythical I need to be over the next
0: Be yourself. We already said you're the king of insights, so just go with it.
1: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> It's good to get out.
0: <laughs> Adopt that persona. So tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your background.
1: Sure. My name is Barry Jennings. I, I am. I, I run a research team that's focused on our cloud business. Actually, my team has three parts. One of it is focused on, on Azure, and that's everything from cloud infrastructure and data and AI products. And uh, another part of my team is focused on pricing and bundling and all sorts of really cool things. We have a function at Microsoft called monetization. And that's how do we look at all these products and services and create the right value. Uh, and then the third thing, we support an integrated marketing team with research uh, that's f- focused on all of our commercial products. So I get to touch uh, a pretty wide variety of Microsoft's portfolio. And I am all B2B all the time. Yeah. In terms of my background, you know, I was in college and one day i get a call from my parents hey we won't be able to help you as much as we thought we would you need to get a job dude and i got three and one of my jobs was and i will be uh, aging myself here uh, but i was a telephone interviewer at a market research company and uh in a few months i was actually a supervisor managing you know people on the phone uh, a lot of older gentlemen getting a little retirement gig uh people who like to talk and i learned a ton uh, and then eventually I was like running the field. I was really young, running this whole field organization, caddy center and all, or, or no, this was straight telephone interviewing. Then we eventually migrated to, CAD, to, to a caddy system, which was an interesting mm-hmm. thing, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, and we did everything from toilet paper to technology. Uh, I did social uh, science work for like the RANDs and MDRCs of the world uh and everything in between and so it was pretty cool um when i finished school i kind of went to the research side became a research manager Uh, i got to learn surveys and all that stuff i did data entry i did data processing and it was cool it was a really good good broad set of experiences and then you know i was married started making babies started needing a little more money (laughs) uh so uh, I went to uh, a company called IntelliQuest, which was focused on technology brands. I, I went there to go and, and help be a research manager on a practice that did technology brand tracking uh, at the time, and this was sort of be- just before the dot-com bubble so technology sure. brands were getting hot and it was really cool and interesting and I, I learned a ton. I did international research. I learned how to do better reporting. I learned that you know, was really, really just transformational for me in a lot of ways. And then uh, the back half of my time there I focused on I moved to the team that did pricing research. Uh, my roommate is now the CEO of Sawtooth Software. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. Uh, and I got to work with like a Rich Johnson and a couple of other like luminaries in that field. And I mean, it was cool. We literally did conjoint studies, burned them to a CD ROM. We mailed <laughs> them to people with a $2 yeah. bill, uh, and sure. actually sent it back, uh, things you absolutely couldn't do today. But I learned a ton on doing that as well. Um, and then after a while, I, you know, I, I knew a good amount about research, but I didn't know what the heck happened with the stuff. Uh, and so uh, Dell was one of our our customers. Uh, they had an mm-hmm. opening, and I, I jumped to Dell. I, I spent 18 years at Dell. I did everything from consumer laptops to uh, small business desktops and everything. Uh, I spent the vast bulk of my time focused on SMB, uh, but also on servers, storage and networking in our whole enterprise business, which was, you know, Dell's role was to say, hey, we can do it better and cheaper. Uh, And um, that is how Dell grew at that time. And so it was a really, really cool ride. Uh, After about 18 years or so, I was sort of working remotely. They had a really, they were at the phase of going public again or going private again. Michael Dell did that a few times. And they had a cool (laughs) voluntary separation package. And I'm like, did the math. I was like, I could afford to take a chance. Uh, And I did. I went to a company called Blackberry. uh, And that was fun. It was a brand that had really big problems to solve. uh, Mm -hmm. um, Really big problems to solve. And it was interesting. Uh, I learned a ton. I got to form a brand new team. I got to try and help the company make a big pivot towards more B2B, uh, which was why I was there to get them out of trying to compete with an iPhone and consumer and more focused on on the commercial side. And they were doing security stuff and all that other stuff. And I mean, that was, it was tough. The company was going through really rough times, learned that um, really great research and strategy recommendations can't undo not great decision-making. And uh, at some point it was time for me to leave there. By then my wife had gotten a job at Microsoft. We were living in the Pacific Northwest. I put a couple of feelers out and I, I, got a role at Microsoft and uh, been here for the past eight years.
0: And especially in, in the technology industry it's just phenomenal. Okay well then if it's all right with you I'm, I'm gonna dig in uh, because our, our listeners they really do crave inspiration from leaders and I think one of the best ways to inspire is to share a story and I know that you were integral in the launch of many products over that you know couple of decades in, in the technology industry. And one that I think you, you shared was, was a pretty good learning experience. Was at Dell? So I'd love for you to uh, tell us how the product launch. How, how did the idea originate? What inspired it? It's kind of a big deal. So I want to. I want to get into it.
1: So Dell's was a dir- is still a direct. Uh, manufacturer of technology, uh, and in the early days, I wasn't there super early when the stock was like tripling like every other month. If so, <laughs> we may not be talking. Right, <laughs> right but I was definitely there during some hot growth years, and when we were doing some pretty innovative things. One of the the, the you know hallmarks of Dell was you know working closely with Microsoft and Intel at the time. Um, they were able to make computing way more affordable. Uh, their direct model is, was just groundbreaking at the time. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you you went online, you you configured a thing, and they sent it to your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really novel. Yeah. Uh, and as we expanded, uh, one of the key areas that, that Michael wanted us to get into was this area called technical workstations. So way back then, People would do this thing called 3D graphics, uh, doing things that many of us can do on our phone now. Uh, but back then, you know, it was it took really rich, robust systems to go and do that. Uh, and in 1995-ish, uh, we went down that pathway and we said, hey, we're going to get into this technical workstation business. Now, technical workstations, these are, and you may know some data science folks who have certain... Some of these systems now, they're big, they've got four processors, they're really powerful, they sit under the desk, they're, they're, they look like mini servers, mm-hmm. but all of that computing power helps them do things like 3D graphics and modeling and engineering. That's how uh, the folks at Boeing, for example, use workstations to do airflow calculations because you know you need more than your, your typical laptop. Um, and it was a compelling business because the players were, were all different, just really expensive. Uh, Silicon Graphics had, a, you know, they were charging massive amounts of money. They were using, you know, risk chips at the time. And it was really, really expensive. And at that time, Intel had a, a processor. Microsoft had an operating system that was just able to do more Uh, And so we said, hey, we think we can put things together and get into the workstation business. And it was interesting. I I got to talk to engineers and scientists and all sorts of folks to really figure out how do we make this thing. We we did a ton of research. It was awesome. And we we came up with this thing that, again, this was 1995, right? That was the year that the DVD came out. Mm -hmm. That was the year that the PlayStation came out in the U.S. So... It was definitely an inflection point here in many ways. And um, we built a machine that can credibly run all of these applications using uh, Windows software uh, and Intel hardware uh, and, 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 or Intel processors inside of Dell machines. And it was a fraction of the cost. And, and I think my, it was exciting and interesting. And I learned perhaps one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned in my corporate career. And that came when we had to come up with a name for this system. We did pricing, or we did a naming research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it uh, is never my favorite. It's tough. Probably, yeah. And probably sp- especially due to I attribute a lot of my my dis taste for it due to this project because <laughs> uh, we did a ton of research we talked to a lot of people we did all uh, the due diligence the legal stuff all that stuff we came up with some names we had a winner and our my stakeholders they were all on board and this is going to be the name uh, and we you know it built it had progress and you know i'm not a, I'm, I'm earlier in the career then i'm not a part of all of the conversations but i was like yes our name is in there uh, they said they sold it in Uh, And then there was a big meeting and marketing VPs and all this other stuff. And I get an email. Hey, we're gonna change the name of the product. It's gonna go out and it's just gonna be called the Dell Workstation 400. (laughs) Dell Workstation 400. Are you kidding me? Uh, And that's what we launched. Uh, It wasn't a a cool, sexy name. We eventually created the name uh, Precision Workstation that still exists today. Uh, but I was like, what the heck? And I had a one-on-one with, with somebody in power. And I'm like, I don't understand. We spent all this time. We spent all this money. We did all this work. We, we are convicted that we had a great name. Everybody agreed with it. And it was everybody but Michael. No, really. And so key learning, we really got to understand who is making that decision. And, and, and again, that's always, that's often tricky. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm an input Uh, and I give these inputs to other people who give inputs, uh, and we gave them to people who do make decisions. Uh, and sometimes those people who do make decisions, there's, there's a bigger fish, uh, and the bigger fish made a decision. And I was part heartbroken and (laughs) for a hot minute, I was confused. Again, I always thought it was research and the research said this and, oh my God, why would you not trust the research? Uh, and it wasn't about that at all. I, I eventually learned he made a decision for a specific reason it turned out to probably be the right decision we did wind up on a a last name on a a different name uh, and it came out at a time when the the product was having momentum Mm -hmm. Uh, and again the brand grew it thrived and and it worked out well Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it was absolutely one of those things that burned into my mind Uh, and it really makes me think who's really doing this. It, it made me think about research differently as well. Uh, and it made me really start understanding or trying to understand business in relation to the the research decisions.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: Sometimes we get enamored with, Hey, we learned a thing and we have to get into the realm of how are we going to help the business make the best decision possible? And it was pretty, uh, pretty big learning for me.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm curious, I mean, so that's an important lesson to learn and, and it was painful at the time, but have you used that to then coach your teens now? Because you've developed so many insights professionals in your career. Do you do you coach them to really think about the ultimate decision that we made and who's going to make the decision and the role of, of the data that they're producing in that decision and just almost like, I don't know, contingency plan if you do have one of those senior leaders come <laughs> in at the end?
1: Yeah, right now I go like day one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, really, what what are we trying to solve for? And who do we have to really navigate to make it work? I never thought about that. I, I, again, back then, again, earlier in my career, it was more like, this is the way things work. And I learned, no, that's not how things really work in some situations. There are externalities that, that you can't always think about that happens today. I'm sure my CEO today is in a room looking at data and making decisions. That's what they get paid to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what a great time in your life to kind of reflect back and being part of, of that product launch at a time when the workplace and the workforce was changing so rapidly. It's just kind of cool to think about then versus now. And it like to your point, um, the problems keep changing, but the dynamic nature of the industry, that part has not slowed down. Right.
1: Not at all. Not at all. And uh, again, that's, again, very energizing. We are in on the precipice of something really, really big right now. Mm Uh, and I remember many of the other really, really, really big too. mobile, the web, right. And they've transformed society, how we work. And I think this moment around AI will do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, And this is early days. And I am quite certain my beliefs today uh, will be upended. Uh, in the coming uh, months and years as we start grappling with with what this is and putting things into practice.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd like to pre-book a follow-up episode when you can talk to me about that big thing, because I'm sure you can't share about it now, but uh, I'd love to hear that story when the time's right.
1: Yeah totally not trying to get fired today so <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's not, sure that's not that. your goal it makes sense. Um, well let's turn to you as, as a thought leader because Barry, you're super involved in the industry, obviously uh, very impactful your organization, but also in the market research industry. So what would you say is one of your most controversial or passionate uh, opinions about the state of innovation right now? You know, you just mentioned AI. I don't know if it has to do with anything, you know, in, in that realm, but I'd love to hear kind of what do you get fired up about?
1: That is a great question. Right now, I'm I'm on this AI task force with with SMR. And, and it's this AI task force where we're really doing lots of roundtables around AI and how it's going to impact the research industry. And at, at, in my job, we my I have our leadership team, me and my peers. We have these shared priorities and, you know, one of them is is to use ai to help transform our function uh how would what does that look like and so we're trying a whole ton of things um some of them suck some of them are fantastic you know we're learning our way through it uh by just trying uh and it's it's fairly energizing and i'm i again we're looking at everything that everybody else is looking into from synthetic sample to, you know, what does this do from a technique perspective to what are the things that are going to make us more efficient within our day? Mm -hmm. Uh -uh. And those are all cool. One of the things that I believe though, and I don't know if it's, if it's that controversial and maybe it is, I think human to human qualitative will thrive. I'm not, I am not anti uh, synthetic data, I, it will probably have its place. I have no idea just yet. I, I don't know what I don't know yet because it's still very, very early days there, but humans know humans really well. Mm-hmm. But but I do think yeah, qualitative is just going to grow. Mm-hmm. It's going to get stronger. It will be very personal. And and I, I think that that's just, it's something that we see right now in a lot of different ways. I, I my first big project at Microsoft, I had to measure market share f- from for a, a product uh, and how it was evolving over time. Things shifted just a little bit, and we kind of had to create a way to sort of measure and understand and, and look at the cloud. Uh, and we did that, and we used a lot of techniques and, and all sorts of really cool things. And at the end of the day, we said, you know what? I don't know what this is. Do you know what it is? I don't really know what it is. You know what we need to do? to go talk to some people who do know and the amount of idis and groups that we did in conjunction with this work just grew right and our understanding grew Uh, our ability to make sense of it just got stronger and that our ability to sell it in just got that much stronger Uh, it 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 matters to bring a customer's perspective and i just don't think that that's going to shift if anything it may grow might get harder yeah. But I think it's
0: going to grow well and so you're saying that the the human to human qualitative that it will thrive and so I'm curious because you know historically qualitative research is used in the sort of more exploratory phases right sort of foundational and exploratory and then quantitative is used to validate and i'm curious if you think that with the you know advances in ai will that almost flip where because there's so much machine learning and you know language models that we're learning from that that's going to be how we uncover new opportunities but to validate those opportunities that's where we go human to human i'm just curious do you think that'll shift a little bit
1: yes and maybe (laughs) (laughs) I, I, i think that Again, very early days. A paper recently came out where they're doing uh, perceptual maps uh, using large language machines. Uh, And it's a big 50 page paper. I read an article uh, and I downloaded the paper, which I'm going to. Read this weekend, uh, hopefully. But yeah, I can easily see. I mean, that's one of the beauties of AI. It can sense patterns. It can see things that we cannot see. It could look at data at scale. I can absolutely see that potentially unearthing some insights that, that we just typically wouldn't see. And that's cool. And I think that's where that qual will come in. Because let's run it by... Let's go really dig in. Let's go see how that is the right answer. How do we sell it? How do we talk about it? What does every, you know, what is the pathway to make it work? Uh, I think that will be the dance. uh, Quite frankly, I I think there's a, yeah, I I feel quite strongly that qualitative ain't going anywhere. Uh, It will shift. Uh, it might leverage different text techniques, like, I don't know, Vox Pop Me, for example, is, is a unique and different way of, of doing qualitative. I couldn't tell you the last time I sat behind the glass, uh, especially, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially due to the pandemic. But I'll yeah. say, you know, I have a fantastic team of folks who do work. Uh, and I realize right now I'm more <laughs> overhead uh, to some degree, uh, but I make a point to listen to customers talk. Uh, I have people put them on my calendar and I make time uh, to sit in on an IDI so I can learn more about what's going on yeah. uh, and how folks are thinking and, and, and making decisions. Uh, and I just, I can't imagine that radically changing. Uh, and I don't know, maybe five, 10 years from now, uh, we trust things differently, but I still think there's just going to be the potential uh, to go and do that. I'm, uh, I'm not a salesperson. I have great respect for our sales teams. uh, And I support them sometimes. But I I, one of the things I do know is they get into conversations.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: They don't talk to bots. They talk to people. Sure. (laughs) And, and they have to move those people. and, And I think that's qualitative. How do we talk to the people and move the people? or at least figure out how the people can move our people based off of what they say.
0: And that's so reassuring coming from not just Microsoft, but someone in your capacity that's working in B2B, you know, that you actually do see that human being on the other end of your product and that you do value that not just voice of customer, but the dialogue. And we completely agree that that qualitative is not dead. It's thriving. It's thriving at, at dig insights for sure. It's a big part of how we support clients and, So I'm very reassured to hear you and your, your role kind of play that back. So thank you for that.
1: That's my reality. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, let's turn to the final dig. This is all about you, Barry, as a consumer. So you've been telling us about, you know, your professional vibe. Now we want to get into just really just Barry, what makes you tick? So uh, what's the last product or service that you bought on impulse?
1: You said, what makes me tick? That's so funny. I wish we had like, this was a script. uh, The last expensive thing that I bought uh, on a whim was a watch. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) An expensive watch. Uh, I had a milestone birthday and I'm like, I think I should have one of those. And so I bought one and it was expensive and, and it didn't displace my Apple watch, but uh it looks good when i have to put on a tuxedo and go to a gala so yeah that was surprising even to me
0: yeah very (laughs) cool and god how often are you going to galas barry i mean what i'm missing out on on some social scenes here
1: look i'm married well so i i i i I, let's just say i have Two different Texas and they get good use within a year. So.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So speaking of marriage, then I, I, I love this question, and I'm so curious how your an- how you'll answer it. Uh, but we know that brands have very distinct personalities. So if you could think of a brand that you'd really enjoy dating, and then a brand that you'd really commit to, you'd really lean in there. Uh, what are what brands would personify that for you?
1: Dating, Ruffles potato chips. It's I like love it. <laughs> They're awesome. And I think marrying them would make me just like a really fat, unhealthy person. Uh, but, but, you know, you got to you gotta have a little fat in your life. Uh, and they are a guilty ple- pleasure. You sit on the couch, you get the bag, you regret finishing the bag, but you finish it every time. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it, it's, you know, it's that thing that you do in front of when you're Netflix and chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be the thing I think I would date.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What I would marry. This will sound weird, but um, my neighbor is British. Uh, and he had a friend give him his scotch collection. His friend was going to become a teetotaler for some reason. And so whenever I go over, we, we have a, a scotch and, and each one of them is different. And there's one brand... That's like, oh, my God, that's really good. It's Dalmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, I just keep a bottle handy. Not handy, like, like I drink all the time. That would be bad. <laughs> but uh, it is just so good. And it's, you know, somebody once told me, you know, if you're if you're going to have a drink, have that one drink that you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, man, that is good. Every single time, consistently. Uh, I'm not a humongous drinker, but man, that is my Mary thing. But that is, it is solid, pleasing, does the trick. Probably a little boring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. And that's not boring at all. I know exactly the brand you're talking about. Excellent package design too. So, um, and then what's a category or a brand, or maybe it's a specific product, but you could rationalize any price point for, you just got to have this product in your life.
1: iPhone. Uh, um, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. I just think about how many things I do in my life with that thing. Uh, I, I got a little warning that my, my online storage was getting a little full. Uh, and I was like, hmm, well, maybe I'll delete some pictures and some videos and some stuff. And I look at it, it's like, Holy crap. I have 32,000 pictures. Yeah. 32,000 pictures. Right. Yeah. And yes, some of them are a food. I don't do that very much. Thank God. But <laughs> you know, I have a daughter and so I have to take at least 12 pictures to get one that she will approve of me keeping. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. You can do that with film and I'm not lost very long. I can find a cool restaurant in any city. Every once in a while, I get this thing that I can barely read it is and I can triple click that side button and I got a magnifying glass. I dropped something on the floor in an airplane. Wait a minute. I have a flashlight. Uh, and so just something that's sort of always there. It's sort of, uh, and always useful. Yeah.
0: I don't think you're alone in saying that that's the, the product that is just, it's so, so integral that it doesn't really matter what it costs anymore. I totally get that. Yeah. And what keeps you inspired at work? Like you said, you've been doing this a long time. What, what keeps you inspired?
1: Uh, that's easy, actually. I, my team. Uh, I, I get to help uh, develop talent. Uh, I get to watch them do great things. Uh, uh, I get the kibitz, uh, really smart people. Mm -hmm. And I guess I I tell them all the time, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we are in some big (laughs) trouble. But uh, I can take what I've learned. I can take my perspectives. I, I know enough about the industry, about the market, about our products, about research. Uh, enough about all those things to be dangerous where I think I'm adding a little bit of value to them. But at the end of the day, they are driving impact left, right, and center. My team, it's really cool. Uh, and it, it's uh, Maybe it's a humble brag, but we have a sizable business f- which we work for uh, and we touch an important part of it. And it's really cool to see something like earnings announcements and it calls out like, the growth is due to that thing that you work on and it's not like it's ruffles or an iphone that you actually know what it is it's cloud infrastructure networking storage processing power and some services like if you're a developer or an it guy you get it but you know apps run on these things everybody knows those apps that run on the thing Uh, we make the thing so that that can happen uh and so that your email actually works and Your badge reader lets you into your building Uh, and it's important uh, and it's just really cool to be able to drive that portion of the business that, you know, really keeps us uh, vibrant and growing.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that that does inspire you because it's very important. And sometimes we get so lost in the day to day. And if you've worked on a brand for a number of years, it can sometimes feel like I'm just, you know, still running the same thing. But when you work on a brand that has such an impact on so many people every day, literally how many professionals right now Barry, are using products and services that you've had a a hand in. It's it's pretty cool. So I'm glad to hear that you pause and reflect on that every once in a while because you should you should feel good about it.
1: Absolutely. Context is queen. And I think once we have a context for what we're doing, uh, yeah, it really gets you to think about it a different way. And hopefully it helps you uh, get up in the morning and uh, sign on or go into work (laughs) and try to make some impact.
0: Yeah. So we started with King of Insights and we're concluding with uh, context is queen. I love this. I think we have some bookends that feel really good.
1: Look at that. You caught up on that. I'm so impressed.
0: <laughs> well, I'm impressed by you, sir. I'm so appreciative that you joined uh, this conversation today. So pleased to have you share your story. Um, the lessons learned uh, during your time at Dell and, and carrying through. I, I wish we could have dug into the, the BlackBerry time, but maybe we'll do that next time. Um, but. Uh, Great, great inspiration, Barry. So, And I've appreciated the Teams notifications that I think you've been planting throughout our conversation so that we have constant brand awareness for Microsoft Teams. Is that all part of your plan?
1: Uh, There is no part too small.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thanks for being such a leader in our industry.
1: It was great. Thank you.
0: All right, guys, until next time, thanks for joining Dig In. Like what you heard? Share the inspiration or head to diginsights.com to learn more about what we do.